The PSs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back. 11 o'clock hour, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Thank you to NCMIC, Nick Mick, uh, for making that uh, previous 40 minutes possible. We appreciate that. We'll do it again on Thursday. If you'd like to be part of it, uh, you can reach out to myself, Ken Miller Show at gmail.com, Ken Miller Show at gmail.com, or. Yeah, Trent Condon is on Facebook. Trent Condon on Facebook. We are almost full for Thursday, but if we hear from you and can't get you in on Thursday, we will do so uh, next week. We are waiting on Governor Reynolds' press conference to begin. I'm uh, looking right now, and at least up on the YouTube page through the governor's office, it says 14 minutes away. Interesting. Yeah, because she's usually prompt. Right, right at 11 o'clock. It says 11 o'clock here on the screen, but then there's also a countdown clock, and the countdown clock's at 14 minutes and 27 seconds. So, yeah, going to kind of throw things off just a little bit. Should yeah, we see if Zubin yeah, might be available right now? Yeah, why don't because I, I can talk to him for, I mean, Zubin's no doubt. fountain of knowledge. Love doing that. Yeah, see if he can come on right now. Uh, we'll do that. We can also do our um, word of the hour, our keyword as well, uh, before we get into that. So while we wait, Governor Reynolds' press conference, and we will get to it, we will uh, just change things on the fly if at all possible. Draft is a week from uh, a week from Thursday night. I think it's going to be, well, look, we finally got a couple of things that uh, are percolating, right? Um, one of them is a television show. I get it. It's the last dance. But if you weren't around for it, uh, if you're listening to us, I think that our audience scares a little bit, uh, skews a little bit older. Uh, you're, you're aware of the bull situation, but I certainly look forward to that on Sundays. Uh, for the next five weeks, it's a two-parter. So there's 10 episodes, two parts on uh, this Sunday, parts one and two, obviously, uh, starting at 8. Uh, and then the next part will be at 9 o'clock. Uh, that and then the draft. Those are the two things. Baseball, we don't know. College football, there are so many different scenarios and so many voices that are currently uh, opining and trying to share what they think. I don't know. Did you log on? Uh, and listen to Chris Fowler, his speculation over the weekend. No. What he thinks, of course, the lead announcer for ABC. Mm-hmm. Uh, he threw three things out there. And, uh, you know, it was probably seven minutes. Uh, I, Trent, I, honest to God, I'm starting to think that we might not get to this until November, December. Really? And See, I think it, Fowler was the same way. I. That's the thing that I, I'm struggling to wrap my mind around. And and help me out here because I know you're a little bit deeper into the reading and the watching of things than I am. But this feels like we have done the right steps. We've made the right steps as a whole, as a society, mm-hmm. in order to flatten the curve. Yep. And with it, that the downturn is going to come. And we're not going to overwhelm the hospital system. And as that happens, things are going to open up. And that means that sports... Maybe not with fans, but it's going to be able to open up. And people talking about pushing it back. Well, professional sports. Profes- Don't forget, you've got the amateur angle, the student part portion of the equation. So I think the NFL will do their damnedest to play on Oh, no, there's no doubt. And I think that's a number one. Mm-hmm. And But the thing that I, I'm struggling to wrap my mind around is 
people that just keep talking about pushing it back and pushing it back, isn't that when it's anticipated the second wave is going to be coming? Well, and I think that some of that is hopefully by then that there's a vaccine, right? See, here's here's my fear. Here's my fear. Um, that we've done everything right, and, mm-hmm. and I think to this point the country look the new the numbers in New York are going way down, which is great, which is great because that was just I mean they were just overwhelmed. But what if we what if we flip the switch back to normal too soon and have to do this all over again? Right, you know, selfishly from where we're sitting right now with you know sports radio. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just can't imagine having to do this for another three or four months. No, not at all. All right, let's do this. Let's do the keyword. Then we'll get our commercials uh, break out of the way. Uh, Governor Reynolds, we'll be part of it. We've committed to carrying these press conferences, and we will. And then we'll get Zubin after that. So right now, KXNO and iHeart want to help you pay your bills. Text the keyword... Cash. Nope. Sorry. Wrong. Wrong. Ding. 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 Let me don't, start don't all over again. Don't do that one. Do it's not. close to cash, but it's money. Text money. the keyword money to two hundred two hundred right now. That's money to two hundred two hundred. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right, we'll get our commercials out of the way. We'll come back. We'll be uh, the governor of the state of Iowa. will join us. We'll carry her press conference. Hopefully, we'll have some time left for Zubin Mahente from ESPN. It's Miller and Condon. We're weekdays, 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106. 106- 6.3 FM. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 106.3 FM as we take you up until noon. Murphy and Andy sliding in here at 2, the Fanatics at 4. And then tomorrow we'll do it all over again with the morning rush coming up at uh, 6. Trent, uh, by the sounds of things, a couple of schools starting to drop some sports. Yes. uh, Which is a sign of things to come? I I think so. I I think this is going Mm. to be something that is going to impact at all levels of Division I athletics. Now, this is the University of Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. who's in the American Athletic Conference. They do not have the budget of the Power 5 structure. But it's a pretty good athletic What's budget. Their football stadium is it? Is it Nippon or something like it's Nippert? Maybe I think I, it's Nippert Stadium. Okay, heard it's a great place. to Yeah, watch a game. it looks really cool on TV mm-hmm. when they get the blackout. Yep. And, uh, yeah, yep. some some really what was it Central Florida? I think came in there this year, which was a pretty good big game at the time. Oh, you UCLA was there this year. That's right. Yeah, beginning of the yep. season, early yep. in the year. And uh, yeah, that Cincinnati program, in fact. A lot of buzz. That might be a preseason top 15 type team. But they Mm -hmm. dropped soccer. It was announced today. Men's soccer has been dropped. And you look at the impact. And also, to be a Division I program, you have to have a certain number of sports. Will Will that stay in place? You know, there's some schools like Stanford that have basically any sport that's offered, they have a varsity D1 sport for it. That is also kind of their mission, and they have an endowment that they're able to afford to do things like that. The University of Iowa and the Big Ten as a whole has a lot of sports. That's a big difference between the Big Ten and the SEC. As the SEC, you don't see wrestling. You don't see field hockey. You don't see a lot of these sports because they're investing everything into football where the Big Ten looks at it as building the athletic department as a whole. It's not just about making money, but yes, we are an academic institution. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But in these measures, is it going to impact you and I? 
I think you and I for sure. Well, especially if they, if, if they canceled the non-conference games. How many bye games? Bye games. Well, game one. Right off the bat, right. Off, off they, they go, go to, to Kinnick Stadium. The Panthers uh-huh. are making their way, as the schedule sits today, well, that's seven hundred and fifty, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars that they normally get. How many years ago was it when they had Iowa, Wisconsin? I don't know if it was back to back weeks, right? But yeah. you remember that? Um, and they had Bucky on the road. Yes, to that game. they did. They did. But but point being is that funds that funds their entire athletic department are certainly a long way towards so their revenue. The last USA Today figures that I saw was about eighteen million dollars a year in revenue, mm-hmm. eighteen million dollars in costs. Those costs, what are they going to do? They continue to rise. And you bring up the point, what's school going to look like this fall? I don't know. Is there going to be students on campus? My wife works for Des Moines Public Schools. Uh-huh. She has said, and they're canceled, right? They are, yeah. They're so done for the year. So regardless of, this is this is a strange one to me. Mm-hmm. Help me out. I mean, my Canadian show. Okay. Here. So Des Moines schools are closed. Yes. Governor Reynolds hasn't, she hasn't signed off on that, has she? She has well, this is the school district made the decision without. But can they? Yes. Yes, they can. That's now, interesting. it gets into distance learning and what they have to do on that part of it. But yeah, that is something that uh, certainly goes into their realm that they're able to do and, and make that decision and termination. And I know Des Moines Public Schools, they're already looking towards the fall, looking to August and saying, what do we do if school's not coming back at that point? Well, football's clearly um, on thin ice. Yeah, do you think at the high school level? At the high school level, you would have to think so. I don't think there's any doubt about well, we it. We briefly talked about it yesterday. We should maybe look. They have to be making plans. Look, I know that the college football playoff committee, the chair, mm-hmm. came out yesterday and was quoted. He was asked, "Is it Bill Hancock? I think yeah, he's still yeah. the chair." Uh, they're making plans like the playoff will start on time. But you have to, right? But you also have to be making contingency sure. plans. If it doesn't right. come on time. And now, that part was, that wasn't a part of it, or at least he didn't want to entertain that conversation. Well, you talk but about a guy have to be. That, that talks out of both sides of his mouth for years and years. We can't do a playoff. Right. The, the BCS is the best that we can do. Yeah. Uh, now you're going to have a college football playoff. You know, the college football playoff is great, and then his talking points mm-hmm. completely change. There's a guy that can certainly uh, work on his feet and change in his conversation. The same thing will happen there. Are you a believer in this? Continue talk about an expanded eight or even sixteen team playoff. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I no. mean, I certainly hope that this is the impetus for it, right? But I just the television. I don't know. These are strange times. These yeah. are may, maybe that's what we get. You know, I don't know when we would get it. Right. I yeah. mean, they're certainly not going to expand if it's business as usual. Mm-hmm. You know, if they start on time, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they're not going to do anything. Uh, we just don't know. There's so much speculation, and you know what? All of that speculation is just that. Nobody knows. Nobody knows if, Nobody if knows. Our, our students going to be back on campus in September. If they're not back on campus, what does that mean? Is there a po- is there any possible way that they could do this? The athletic departments in Cincinnati was the first one, at least that um, I've heard of, that is actually you know having to, we've we've heard about pay cuts right. all around you know uh, universities, coaches, athletic departments. They have to. It's a market correction, is what it is. These these salaries got out of hand. They got out, they got crazy with all the television money that was pouring in and the amount of people on staffs. And you get into that part of it too, not now, just in football, though. That's a huge piece true, of it. But what's the Big Ten Network going to do this fall? You mean, if there's no programming, if there's no programming, I mean the, those Big Ten schools that are used to that just huge injection of cash on a yearly basis from BTN. What are they going to do? 
there's not much they can do. There's nothing they can I've do. I've seen Mike Hall. He does a little funny one-minute video. But Dave Repson's growing a beard. I think he had Ryan Day on yesterday. They're yeah. doing video stuff. What can you do? It's not sustainable. It's not. It's absolutely not. So it's there's so much riding on this. We got the governor? We got the governor. Let's, Let's uh, take it down to the governor press conference. Kim Reynolds from today. Well, good morning. Uh, We'll go ahead and get started this morning with an update on the numbers. We had 113 new positive cases for a total of 1,710 positive cases. We had one new county, Cass County, for a total of 82 counties. We had 981 negative cases today for a total of 16,986 negative tests and a total of 18,696 tested. The State Hygienic Lab has 3,565 tests available. As of last evening, we have 142 hospitalized, 741 have recovered for a recovery rate of 43%. And I'm very sad to report that we have had two additional deaths, one elderly adult in Lynn County and one older adult in Muscatine for a total of 43 deaths and our sincere condolences go out to the families of those who have passed. The number of Iowans who have successfully recovered from COVID-19 continues to increase daily and later this week we'll share information about what Iowa's epi curve is telling us uh, about our onset of illness. These signs are encouraging but they certainly do not they are not a reason enough for us to let up on our mitigation efforts at this time. As we've been saying, we project that Iowa's peak will occur later this month, and until then, we anticipate our positive our number of positive cases and unfortunately, our deaths will continue to rise as well. Uh, Long-term care facilities also continue to be a big concern. Despite significant mitigation measures taken early on, including restricting visitors and screening staff at all shifts, the virus has still been introduced into some facilities, resulting in devastating consequences. Staff and residents of long-term care facilities account for more than 10% of all of our positive COVID cases in Iowa, and 53% of all deaths are residents of long-term care facilities. This is why it has been so important that we prioritize testing for essential workers and vulnerable Iowans. The Department of Public Health is working now to deploy the the Abbott rapid testing machines to conduct surveillance testing among long-term care facilities, staff, and residents. When an essential worker tests positive for COVID-19, local public health officials are able to conduct contact tracing to determine any potential exposures that may have occurred and isolate those individuals as soon as possible to prevent further spread of the virus. And this is also why we continue to urge all Iowans to stay stay at home as much as possible, work from home if you can, practice social distancing at any time you're in public, don't gather in groups of more than 10 people, and isolate at home if you or any member of your household is sick. These important steps will significantly reduce the risk of further exposing exposing our essential workers and vulnerable Iowans to the virus. All Iowans must continue to do our part to protect our health and the health of others during this critical time. I also want to provide a brief update on the Regional Medical um, Coordination Centers or the RMCCs after the weekend. So let's start with Regions 1 and 2 in Central Iowa. Yesterday in Region 1, which includes Polk County and the Des Moines metro area, there were 38 COVID-19 patients hospitalized, 
five new patients were um, was admitted in the last 24 hours. 14 were in ICUs and 11 were on ventilators. There were 1,365 inpatient beds available, 139 ICU beds, and 224 ventilators available for patient care. In Region 2, the north central area of the state, there, were, there was one COVID-19 patient hospitalized. No new patients were admitted in the last 24 hours. One is in an ICU and one was on a ventilator. There were 235 inpatient beds, six ICU beds, and 25 ventilators available for patient care. On the western side of the state yesterday, Region 3 reported two COVID-19 patients hospitalized, one new patient was admitted in the last 24 hours, one is in an ICU, and none were on ventilators. There are 540 inpatient beds, 44 ICU beds, and 59 ventilators available for patient care. In Region 4, there were two COVID-19 patients hospitalized. One new patient was admitted in the last 24 hours. One was in an ICU and none were on ventilators. There were 254 inpatient beds, 37 ICU beds, and 68 ventilators available for patient care. And finally, in eastern Iowa, as of yesterday, Region 5, where Johnson County and Scott County is located, we had 55 COVID-19 patients hospitalized. 12 new patients were admitted in the last 24 hours. 24 were in ICU and 15 were on ventilators. And there were 727 inpatient beds, 85 ICU beds, and 166 ventilators available for patient care. And in Region 6, where um, Lynn County is located, there were 44 COVID-19 patients hospitalized. Five new patients were admitted in the last 24 hours. 29 were in ICUs. 14 were on ventilators and there were 1,225 inpatient beds, 69 ICU beds, and 133 ventilators available for patient care. Over the course of the last week, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the challenges of COVID-19 and what, how that presents um, challenges for the long-term care facilities. So in closing today, I wanna take a moment to recognize the staff who work in the over 444 long-term care facilities across Iowa, especially those who, who are working in facilities that have been impacted by an outbreak. You're more than caregivers. You're heroes on the front line of this, of this crisis. And I know this situation is especially difficult for you. So thank you for showing up every day with compassion and integrity and for caring for your residents as you would your own family. Please be safe and stay well and know that we will continue to do our part to protect you and to work with you. And with that, we will open it up for questions. Are there any updates on the... Um one to ten scale for the various regions? Yep, there is. So um, in, we'll start with region six. It is an eight. RMCC region five is an eight. RMCC region two is a seven. RMCC region one is an eight. RMCC region three is a five. And RMCC Region 4 is a 6. 
And with some of those numbers declining, could you explain, like, So thanks for the question. I think you're specifically asking about um, Region 5. And so what's happened in Region 5 is we have, as we've continued to see case counts increase, the severity of the illness um, has also decreased. So the rate of hospitalization has gone down, which, so for that particular metric, um, that has gone from a three to a two uh, related to the hospitalization rate. So that's why you saw the decrease from a nine to an eight in that particular region today. Governor, can you talk about PPEs a little bit? Friday, there seemed to be a little difference in, the, in your tone stressing the severity of PPEs as they stand now versus where we could go. Several hours after you talked, we heard from the president say that PPEs are not a concern. So for people who are glued to their TVs right now, following both of you, what is your advice on which person they're supposed to believe? And can you specifically talk about what you all are doing to get more of these PPEs? Is it through the feds? Are you doing them through private? vendors what's the process yeah well as i said over and over and over it is an all of the above so we continue to order through the national lab we continue to order through das we continue to encourage our hospitals and clinicians to order through their private vendors uh, we have also spent a great deal of time working out to, reaching out to incredible businesses and individuals across the state that have really stepped up the department of correct all right, so if you missed uh, Governor Reynolds' press conference yesterday, we gave you a little snippet of it. Yeah, a little extra, a little bonus, uh, yeah, Governor the, Reynolds. The press conference has been delayed, so we won't carry it today. We'll pick it up tomorrow, assuming that it starts on time at 11 o'clock. Uh, let's get Zubin Mahente in here. Zubin joins the program. Zubin, thanks for coming on. Trent and Ken, how are you? Good, doing well. Hope you guys are safe. So far, so good. Fingers crossed. Uh, what in, uh, is college football safe, Zubin? Let's start with that. Uh, seemingly, I, I heard Chris Fowler, I'm sure that you saw his, uh, his Instagram or some of the stuff he put out there on social media, six or seven minutes of, of uh, what he thinks may happen. Of course, nobody knows. He just threw three scenarios up against the wall. Trent and I, and I'm sure most of the uh, um, sports radio stations that are college sports Centric have been having this discussion. The what if there is no college football discussion? Um, what what is college football safe, Subin? I think it's TBD, and I think a lot of it is where Jamie Pollard was headed. Because I think, and I know Chris was on the Dan Patrick show today. So, if your listeners want to get more involved with what Chris said, uh, they could probably search for it on on YouTube. Um, he did have some interesting comments right after his partner. Kirk Herbstreet is probably the most skeptical person in the media of the big stature mm-hmm. that said he doesn't think college football is going to happen. And when he says something like that, it's certainly worth uh, listening to. But I tend to think that your your athletic director there in central Iowa said something really interesting. And I'm sure you guys obviously know the, the weather metaphor about the long, hard winter, the blizzard, and the ice age. But the reason I thought that was such an interesting point is because I think of the 120 or so teams in the football bowl subdivision, the FBS, most would qualify themselves somewhere along the line where Iowa State is. That is to say, an ascending program. Now, when I was there, the program is really scuffling, but things have really taken off. But I think if you break it down into three corridors, you have your elite of the elite one percenters, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, 
Oklahoma. That's it. If you look at the terms of who's made the playoff consistently, then I think you have a gigantic case to be made for teams like Iowa State. Ascendant. Things are going in the right direction. Fan base is up. Attendance is down across the country, but Iowa State's attendance is up. But a program that's on the move and critically needs football to survive, as Jamie had mentioned in his numbers, detailing Iowa State's $90 million budget. And then you have a smaller group of teams that are scuffling and are absolutely going nowhere. So I think because Jamie was speaking for the largest group of teams, I think it's like 1% at the top, maybe 20% at the bottom, and I'm just going to ballpark it like 79% in the middle, teams that absolutely positively need football and can create with football, can get boosters to come in, can get student fees, can get donations. I think he was speaking on behalf of Iowa State with those numbers, Ken. But I think if you take a look at college football in totality, he's speaking of the sport as a whole because more people fall into Iowa State's category of we really, 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 really need it, and we kind of have an upward trajectory, which makes it even more important. So I think it's in peril because if Jamie Pollard tells me it's in peril and he represents the ADs of schools that generally are what college football is all about, the big, big blot in the middle, I think it's in trouble because I think he's not just speaking for Iowa State. I believe he was speaking for a lot of programs that have their profile. Zubin, the dichotomy between the professional ranks and the college game. Professionals are paid. They get a paycheck, and they certainly would do anything to get that paycheck back in whatever fashion that it is. On the other side, you're talking about college athletes. How big of a gap does that create, and how much of a problem is that going to be for college sports and and for the athletes making the determination, even if they do get the all-clear, that they can go out there and compete and go through practice and play games? How many people are going to want to and the liability aspect for the colleges to put players out there in harm's way if that's actually the case that comes out, say, come out this fall? I think there's a couple things there, Trent, you have to keep in mind. I think, number one, far and away, the biggest difference between the NFL and college, besides, of course, the compensation aspect that you mentioned, is the lack of uniformity. If Roger Goodell puts out a memo and says all 32 teams must follow this, they follow it. If they say show up Thursday, April 23rd for the NFL draft on Zoom, Everyone shows up. College is different. There's a lack of uniformity. I'll just give you an example. Coastal Carolina, okay? They've already finished spring practice. Rutgers, where I went, hasn't conducted a single spring practice. Total lack of uniformity. Uneven schedule. Some teams won't play teams from the FCS like the Big Ten, and some teams from the SEC do it on an annual basis in November. There's no lack of uniformity. The NFL at least has that. They can all say we're all playing 16 or now make it 17 games and we're all following the same rules. We all have a division. There's four teams in the division. Whereas in college sports, you've got 14-team conferences, 10-team conferences, and it's just so unwieldy to get together. So that's a big problem for college athletics. Nobody's starting at the same start line. Nobody's at the finish line. There's no real barometer for success. For some schools, it's making a bowl. For other teams, it's making the playoffs. There's no uniformity. The second thing I would say from a smaller perspective, Trent, I know you were talking about football. Keep in mind with the NCAA, football, men's and women's basketball, most of the time those athletes are on full scholarships. There are walk-ons. But when you talk about the spring sports, which has become a very big issue here lately, some of these athletes are on partial scholarship, Trent. So let's say you want to go back. Let's say you're not taking the Wisconsin example where you're not going to draft them the extra year. I know I was thinking about it. But let's say you go to another school that says you can come back for another year no problem, spring sport, you got robbed, you're back. Well, that athlete might be on a partial scholarship. So that means if they were paying $13,000 a year 
to go to school this year in whatever their partial scholarship would be, if they want to come back next year, they have to show $13,000 out of their own pocket, mm. plus whatever tiny partial scholarship that baseball or volleyball or track and field or any of these other sports offer. So I think from that perspective, it's very difficult, too, because you're putting an extra burden on the athlete that wasn't there a year ago. Mm. Zubin Bahante from ESPN. Excellent point, Zubin. Uh, I want to get to the XFL, who has um, f- um, folded up shop. Uh, I don't know if they would have made it, Zubin. I don't. I think that there was some buzz early. This seemed that, you know, of the of the leagues that have come before it, that maybe this had the best chance. They hired some big-name uh, coaches. I mean, Bobby Stoops among them, who I see is uh, he's on the list of creditors for a million dollars now that the league has folded. But, you know, uh, laying off all the staff, essentially closing their doors and filing for bankruptcy uh the end of the xfl assumingly so let me localize it a little bit zubin the indoor football league of which the barnstormers are part of they canceled the 2020 season if the xfl can't make it and had to you know declare bankruptcy and fold the league what does it do for leagues like the indoor football league where the barnstormers reside it's going to be really tough for them to survive because from what you're talking about, it's a trickle-down effect. Now, think about it. With the XFL, they weren't even really paying for TV time. The, the business model was a lot easier. ESPN and Fox would pick up the production costs. Now, that could be $400,000 per game. But when you're talking about the millions of dollars that are being put out there in terms of sports rights fees, it's a generally easy way for the sport to survive. And I'm talking to Steve Levy. I've been working with Steve, who's basically the main voice of the XFL for the five weeks that essentially was out there. Um, and we were just talking, and he essentially said something to the effect of the AAF comparisons are just not right because the AAF was financially mismanaged from the jump. The XL right. was not financially mismanaged. The ratings were going down a little bit, which is to be expected. And attendance was about 18,000. But it was a fledgling league. And as you guys know, the biggest thing, whether it's a radio show, a TV show, a league, you just got to get through the first year. You just got to make sure you can cycle through the 12 months and then when you get on some solid footing, you could move on. But Steve told me something the other day, which I thought was, you know, it really puts everything in perspective with, with regard to the world of sports. He said, there is nothing that could have stopped the XFL except for what happened. This worldwide shutdown due to the pandemic shut down the XFL. They were not going to shut it down for poor ratings, even though they were dipping. They were not going to shut it down for attendance, even though attendance, like I said, plateaued at around 18,000. Some markets did a little bit better than others. Seattle, St. Louis did pretty well. They were not going to shut it down because the lack of play was poor, like the initial XFL in 2001. They weren't going to shut it down because there was an overall lack of interest. The only thing that could have prevented this league from completing year one is the pandemic that we're facing. That's how the gravity of this situation has taken flight. Anything else, the league could have probably overcome. But as you're seeing, most of the world's economies couldn't overcome the pandemic. So there's obviously no way the XFL, a fledgling sports league in America, was going to be able to do so. But his general point was, short of what happened, the league could have probably overcome any sort of other, quote-unquote, normal adversity, whether it's fan interest or apathy or ratings or attendance. That all could have been overcome. They could have made it through year one, no matter what those numbers were. But it was this sort of thing that stopped it, and it looks like stopped it permanently. Zubin Mahente joining us from ESPN. Zubin, it's a question that's been on my mind now for the last week as we've heard more and more conversation expanding the college football playoff. Uh, There was a 
Uh, an article a week ago from Brett McMurphy of Watch Stadium, formerly of ESPN, 88% of college uh, athletic directors were in favor of an expanded playoff. Pete Thamel has an article at Yahoo about that today. The likelihood, and from your perspective, ESPN, who their ad rates obviously have dropped and the different uh, clients that they have on that end, would there be the money from ESPN to pay for an extra four or even 12 games that they expend this thing out, extended out to 16 games? Is there that much money that would come in from ESPN to pay for these extra games with the college football playoff? I have no idea how to answer that. But I would say that ESPN and college football is a core tenant of what we do. I would say this, though. To your point, it's a 12-year agreement. We're pretty much halfway through the agreement. But I think the real impetus to get this thing going to, whether it would be six teams or eight teams, or as you mentioned, Brett, mentioning actually 16 teams, which I just think would completely devalue the regular season. Nobody wants to see. I mean, think about this on the surface, right? A 1-16 matchup would be actually a top-20 matchup. A top-20 yep. matchup in a playoff, and the spread mm-hmm. would be like 38 and a half. Right? <laughs> I mean, you're talking yeah, yeah. two top-20 teams, right. and it would just be ridiculous. I think, to your point, the, the ball is really in the court of the CFP, because as you know, when ESPN and other entities have asked to move the CFP away from New Year's Eve, which would certainly be a great thing for ESPN's ratings, and just a great thing for have people to be more available. People are more available on December 30th than 31st. And the CFP, at every turn, as you've seen, has essentially said no. So when people say, you know, the playoff wants to expand from 6 to 8 to 16 or whatever grandiose theory there is, people always talk about ESPN as the television partner. But from all the reporting I see, everything is in the court of the CFP, the athletic directors, the president, and the committee. And if they want to go from 4 to 6 or 8 to 16 or whatever, that's where the conversation starts. I think some people think because it's televised on ESPN and ESPN is so heavily involved in college football, they would have a say. And they might. I'm certainly not in the back rooms. I'm not dealing. I'm not on the executive level. I'm just an anchor. But every story I see says, hey, can we move the playoff from New Year's Eve? No. Can we get 16? No. We like it Hmm. at four. So for me, the ball tends to be, every story I've seen from reputable reporters, everything is really decided by the school ADs and above them, obviously, the school presidents and the people that control the playoff and the rotating committee. I don't think it's as much on TV. I could be wrong about that, but every time I see an expansion, it's because you know we would love an expansion. Who wouldn't love an expansion? But I think it's always squashed by somebody, and that somebody obviously is the school presidents and the people that run the playoff in general. Uh, Zubin Mahanti, our guest. Zubin, as we know, the uh, the sports calendar is shifting. The Masters now scheduled for November. It was interesting that Nance was asked, you know, if it comes down to this, if you've got, uh, you know, you and Tony Romo got a date on a Sunday, would you would you would you make that, or would you do the final round of the Masters? And we've talked about maybe moving it up in the week, in the uh, last week, I believe, when you were on. But you know, if if we do get to the point with college football, Zubin, where the calendar shifts and it's January and it's February that we're talking about this playoff. You guys have such a glut of college basketball. I know you've got ESPN Plus now, which is certainly something to uh, you know where where I would assume that a lot of stuff is going to be parked. But logistically, how problematic would it be to try and appease the college basketball fans, knowing that you know some of their games are probably going to be preempted for college football? That's a great point. One thing I wanted to backtrack on uh, that you mentioned, if I really quickly could, Ken, last week we were talking about what you know CBS would do with their college football in the NFL, as you alluded to, the Nance and Romo thing. One thing that was brought to my attention uh, uh, right after we had spoken, actually, 
was that the week of the Masters at 12th to 15th, this is a very small minor thing, but it is something that I know you guys, college football fans, would enjoy. That is the SEC take on the FCS week. So it may not impact college football from the SEC and CBS so much because that has always been kind of pointed as the we're taking a break this week. We're wedding wedding week in the South is what they call it, Zubin, right? <laughs> right, wedding week. Right. We can't miss an important conference game, so let's squeeze all these weddings right, right here. Um, but just a small thing that could obviously help CBS down the road, knowing that obviously you still want to air every game. It's the most, I think it's the best cost-benefit package in college sports, considering what they're paying, how little they're paying, and what they're getting out of the best league in America. I'm sure we'll try to squeeze as many games as they can. But it is important to note that that is the quote-unquote week in the SEC that everybody kind of takes a little bit of a breather. In my estimation, I think some, in some way, somehow, Ken, we would make it work with your point just because of where we are with the polar opposite nature. We are in such a dearth of sports, obviously the horse contest, the 2K contest. you got MLB, the show, happening. That's not really with us, but the two NBA things were with ESPN. My guess would just be from an anecdotal perspective, when you look at the dearth of sports that we have now, if you say we've now got too many sports or too much sports, there's no such thing. It would be the most welcome problems <laughs> that our executives have ever dealt with. I can speak for them. I'm pretty sure to say they would love to find out a situation where we have too many sports <laughs> and too few channels. Just because right now, when you look at it, it's the opposite. If we ever get to that point you're talking about, I just think it would be the best problem for them to attack. Yeah, we, we would we'll love figure to figure it that. out. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Zubin Mahete here with us is Miller and Condon on KXNO. Zubin, Sunday night, your uh, your team at ESPN put together NBA Horse. Watched a little bit of it. Didn't stay with it very long. Uh, your takeaway on that, I was starved for content. Horse didn't do it for me, though, unfortunately. I think what was cool about it, if you enjoyed these sorts of things, is I don't know if many NBA fans recall, I think a lot of the hardcore fans do, you know, the NBA tried Horse. In the All-Star Weekend in 2009 and 2010, it only lasted a couple years, they actually did not continue it because there was really a lack of buzz. It more or less just turned into a long-distance shooting competition. And a lot of people thought, well, you know, that not that what the three-point contest is? We already got right. the All-Star Weekend. So it wasn't something that really stuck around long-term. I think people were hoping for more imaginative things. I just didn't really get there. Obviously, it was a bit mitigated over the weekend just because, for example, it was a below-the-rim contest or you could have started, uh, you know, sketching Zach Levine's name into the championship trophy if it was going to be a dunk contest. But it's played below the rim. But what I think the league did to really incorporate it well was they had players that are playing today that are really well-known, like Trey Young, who was the quote-unquote top seed that got eliminated. They had NBA legends like Sean C. Billups, Paul Pierce. And they also had players from the WNBA, Allie Quigley. She's a sharpshooter from the Chicago Sky. So I thought that was a good touch to bring together current-day superstars, legends of the past, incorporate the WNBA. I was disappointed, I will tell you, to see, because I think we are so all waiting for sports and everybody is working so hard to put these sorts of things on. I'm not on Twitter or social media, but I couldn't escape the fact that how many people were criticizing what they were seeing. I mean, this is one of those situations where I was working on the radio at Taylor Twellman on Sunday, and we were just saying, look, this is just a public service that these guys and gals have all put together at their place, stopped what they're doing to give people a little bit of entertainment. And people were critical of video quality. People were critical of this and that. And I just don't understand what people want at this point. I think you have to be happy for what you get. Taylor said, basically, some of these people on Twitter or lead soccer analyst who I was working with on the radio, 
said, this is like somebody walking through the desert, and when you finish, you're ready to give them a glass of water, and they're like, no, 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 I only drink White Claw. You know, like, what do you want at this particular point? So I thought it was one of those things where the public, many on Twitter, were probably overreacting and not appreciating how difficult it was to put on what they did. People are trying to give people a distraction, something fun, something unique. The NBA, more than anybody, has been out in front. They want to be the first thing to come back. They talked about a charity game that was scrapped, so this came into the play. So the NBA is trying hard. TV networks are trying hard. And I think some of the people that are criticizing some of the aspects of it really need a reality check. I don't think there'll much, uh, be much criticism, Zubin. We'll let you go on this one uh, this coming Sunday night when parts one and two of The Last Dance uh, make their way to ESPN. Have you seen a screening of it yet? What, uh, what, uh, what are we going to be in store of? And if you haven't, what do you anticipate we're going to see? Zubin, I think that this is... I mean, there's. I think the, the numbers are just going to be massive as far as television viewership of this thing. Have you seen it, Zubin? I have not. I've not been in the office for a couple of weeks. I've been working here remotely. I'll be back in Friday and Saturday. And so I'll be interested to see if I can maybe grab a snippet. I would imagine this sort of the week we would be promoting it pretty heavily. Um, one thing I would say that for those that aren't big Michael Jordan fans, vis-a-vis LeBron or were too young for Michael Jordan, when you see this, the one thing I would say to a younger listener of your program is this. I would say, think about how much LeBron James, and I'm not pitting LeBron versus Michael, think about how much LeBron James or Zion Williamson or Trey Young or Luka Doncic or Yao Ming or any of these people that link basketball domestically or globally, think about how much they have benefited from social media. Michael Jordan had no social media And his biggest news was as big as anybody's Mm -hmm. big news today with social media. He didn't have hundreds of thousands of people retweeting something. He didn't have hundreds of thousands of people liking something, a video or a dunk or a comment that an athlete has made through their own social media page or their own account. He was as big as these guys are today (laughs) with a fraction of the tool. And that's because everything he did was so magnified. It wasn't his sheer force of will that allowed him, whether he was playing baseball or winning six titles, to be right there toe-for-toe attention-wise with the guys today. It's the fact that everything he did was so interesting and curious to people that he didn't need and certainly didn't have the technological innovations of today. But I think if you go back and think about the talk about Jordan Campbell or the six titles or playing with Rodman or Pippen or the death of his father or him going to the Birmingham Barons, Everything that he did was getting the same amount of attention as these guys are on a relative scale today, and he had no megaphone or platform like these guys have to pump it. To me, that shows how gigantic he really is. Can you imagine if he took to his Twitter account and tweeted, I'm back, (laughs) instead of having (laughs) to do the facts? To ages, Ken, remember in 1995 when he did that, he did that on a fax machine right. when he said he was coming back to the NBA. So times have changed a little. Yeah, I'll say. Zubin Mahente, ESPN. Zubin, so next Tuesday when you join us, we will obviously will be 48 hours or a little bit more away from uh, night number one of the NFL, uh, the draft. Uh, round one on Thursday, two and three on Friday, and then the rest on Saturday. I know it's going to be a collaborative effort between ESPN and the NFL Network, although, Zubin, I, I, I think I saw a piece that, uh, that ESPN is going to play a more dominant role of the two networks in presenting the draft. Is that your... Uh, is that how you saw it as well? 
Yes, from what I saw, it's essentially going to be housed at ESPN, the control room, all that will be from ESPN. Trey Wingo, from what I understand, is the host Great. of the NFL draft simulcast. So I guess if you're asking who the face of the draft is, it's an ESPN personality. And then all of the technical stuff is going to be done at ESPN because, as you know, NFL Network based in California, they have some very, very strict shelter-in-place uh, situations that are not as prevalent in Connecticut. Good stuff, Zubin. Talk to you next week. Thank you. Stay safe, guys. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, Governor Reynolds has just started her, uh, her press conference. We're not going to carry it, but 189 new cases uh, today, okay. I think that's a sadly a, a high mark in this thing. Uh, the reason it was delayed apparently was technical difficulties. They are oh, okay. bringing are trying to bring some new data or some new methods. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going off somebody's tweet. Gotcha. So that was the reason for the delay. Nothing nefarious about it. Just um, technical difficulties kept the governor from uh, taking the uh, podium at 11 o'clock. So she will tomorrow. And if she does tomorrow at 11 o'clock, we will carry that for you, uh, to you. But 189 uh, new ones as of yesterday. And uh, you can, of course, catch that on all the TV partners have that going on right now. You can also find it online, YouTube. And if you uh, search Iowa Iowa Governor Reynolds press conference. It'll pop up and you can find it there and uh, listen what the governor has to say here as we continue on. Still just the middle of April. <laughs> no, it's not. It's June. <laughs> it's the middle of April. Uh, tomorrow on the program, Bama Bob's going to join us. Oh, that's Bama, a good I talked one. to Bama on the weekend. He's pulling his hair out, like, but we're doing the right thing. We're bored. Yes. I said, you know what, Bama, let's catch up on Wednesday. Yeah. I want to ask him, you know, Judy or Ruggs? You know what? Oh. Rugs might go before Jerry Judy. They're both studs. Like them both. One runs a four-two-seven, which is yeah. faster than Tyreek Hill. Sure. We've seen fast guys, though, before. Right, but this kid caught a lot of balls that's at Alabama. Too. Yeah, Tua um, threw on him to him. That's, you know, now, was it falling Tua? in the draft, apparently? What what am I missing? It's smoke screens. I think it is, too. Yes. Look, you're right. This you, is the time yes. you can't believe anything Not a peep. that you read about the... We have this conversation every year. Mm-hmm. This conversation is a little bit different this year. But everything that you're hearing now leading up in these final two weeks? Two weeks and two days. Who's counting? <laughs> Not you. <laughs> Until that, don't believe anything. Even if it's a trusted source. It's an Adam Schefter. It's you know Jay Glazer. And you know, speaking of Adam Schefter, it blows me away. And you know what? Just as I say it, I'm going to get beat. I'm going to get caught. The number of people that retweet a parody account. Oh, yes. Don't see the blue check mark or whatever and, uh, and tweet it from their account to their tens of thousands of followers. Uh, you got to be very careful. All right. So Bama's going to join us tomorrow. It's Wednesday, Centurion Stone of Iowa. We'll uh, present David Kaplan tomorrow. We'll catch up with Cappy. A lot of Bulls conversation with the Cap man. Pete Menino, the head coach for the Des Moines Buccaneers, is going to join us. They got a. Oh, really? Tomorrow? Yeah. I didn't know that. Tomorrow, 1045. We talked about this yesterday. So, 1045, he's coming on? 1045, we will get him on. And he's got a number of Des Moines Buccaneers that are going to be drafted, it sounds like. You'd be able to help me. Yes, that's true. United States Hockey game. League, Trent, is, is a real feeder system to yeah. the NHL. I don't think a lot of, uh, enough people realize that. Because, um, help me out here, the USHL, at least me growing up watching that hockey, the yeah. North Iowa Huskies were my team in Mason City, Okay, and it was guys playing for college scholarships. Which is still the case today. Still a big part yes. of it. But is there, has the, the play increase, has the talent increase? Oh, for sure. Since I'm talking about yes. the late 80s. yes. It's gone up at a level uh-huh. where these guys aren't just college scholarship, but there's an opportunity right. and a real opportunity yep. 
to be taken in the NHL draft. No, without a doubt. Without a, it's really good hockey. And, yeah. and a lot of guys get drafted out of this league. A lot of guys will. So there's a local kid? Yeah, Irvingdale kid. Uh, that's going to get drafted? Possibility. We'll find out more with Pete tomorrow. Good. Well, uh, so that'll be a part of the program tomorrow. We will hear from the governor. Of course, we're going to hear from Cappy at some point. And um, I want to have Michelle Book on tomorrow from the Iowa Great. Food Bank. I think we'll save her to the end of the program. So we'll do sports, sports, sports right up until, uh, say, 1145-ish tomorrow. And then we'll hear from Michelle Book of the Iowa Food Bank. You'll hear from Murph and Andy at 2 o'clock this afternoon. And then at 4 o'clock, the Fanatics will slide on in. Tomorrow morning, the Morning Rush will be on the air, as they always are at 6. Thank you to NCMIC for making Restaurant Radio possible today, as they do Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're Miller and Condon, weekdays 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3.